Good morning, Christ Church. Have there ever been moments in your life where you have sensed the presence of God? Have you ever had one of those moments where you've just sensed God's nearness, his presence to you? And I can think of uh, a few moments in my life and want to share them with you and see if maybe you've had a moment like this before. But one of them, I'm a young man, I'm 22 years old, and one of my closest friends, Jason Goodwin, he was coming back from a ski trip, and they had been all night skiing, snowboarding, having a great time, and it was a six-hour drive back, and um, in the middle of the, the night driving back, the car ran off the road, and he was thrown from the car and instantly lost his life. The 22-year-old man, I remember thinking, one of my best friends, someone who had his whole life in front of him, someone a devoted Christ follower, here, just life taken from him in this moment. And I was wrestling with that and deeply in grief and sadness, as you might expect. And the very next week, I was at a conference for about 1,000 college students, college-age people up in Pittsburgh. And there was this disconnect I felt between everyone worshiping and singing and praising God on this mountaintop moment and the reality of where I felt my life was. It was so much, I couldn't take it anymore. I stood up and just left the auditorium. Uh, walking onto the streets of Pittsburgh. And as I was walking along the streets, I felt what I might only describe as the arms of God himself just wrapping me, just embracing me, saying, I am with you in this. Your friend, Jason, is with me. You are safe. And it, all those things, you know, I didn't hear voices that said that. More than anything, I felt this wrapping presence of God in the midst of deep grief and confusion about the state of the world and what had happened to my friend Jason. It was one experience. Another experience, I was a little bit older in my mid-20s and was wrestling through, God, what are you calling me to do in life? Like, I'm, I'm standing here on the cusp of decisions, and I have to make a choice. Where are you calling me? And I was wrestling through, I, I have this sense of vocational ministry and, and maybe this pastoral ministry. I believe everyone's called. Everyone's called to God. Everyone's called to represent God in the world. But I have this sense that you're calling me to be a, a set-aside person who cares for the church. But I also have this deep love of healing and, and watching healing come. So I'm drawn towards this medical community, and I don't know where to go. And at a moment in a church service like this, sitting by myself, wrestling internally, no one knew what I was wrestling. I was just wrestling with this. As we were coming forward for communion, I had this sense that God was just saying, make the decision, go to seminary, and just a peace about it. Have you ever had one of these moments? These are two moments from my life. I've had others, but have you ever had a moment like that of authentic spiritual encounter with God? Have you ever had one of those moments where you just get the sense, God is real, and he's speaking to me right now, his creation in this moment? I think we all long for these moments, moments of encountering God's living presence. We want a real and alive spirituality. We don't want a dry and dusty religion. We want something that has life to it, something where we feel connected to God himself in the heavenly realms. This past Thursday, we remembered the ascension. And if you were listening to the songs we just sang, our worship songs, all of them have this key theme of Jesus ascending back to the Father, Jesus going back to the heavenly kingdom, Jesus uh, sitting down at the right hand of God. There's this theme of ascension, and we might wonder, 
what really does ascension mean and why does ascension matter? And where I want to connect two threads is I want to say this. This quest for spiritual connection to God that I was just describing, this, this longing to encounter God and the risen and ascended Jesus, these two come together. The reason we long for spiritual encounter with God and the reason that God can meet with us is because of the ascended Jesus. He raised and returned bodily presence to the right hand of God brings together how we might experience him now in this world. And so what I want to do today is talk a little bit about the ascension and try to make sense. How do we, how do we live out of a spirituality that makes sense of the ascension every day? So we'll talk about what the ascension is, where did Jesus ascend, where did he go, and then how this makes sense of spirituality. So first of all, what is the ascension? Um, and you, can, you might have open the scriptures right now that we looked at. Our reading from Acts really gives a clear picture of Jesus' ascension. So does the reading from Luke's. But 40 days after Jesus' bodily resurrection, after rising physically from the realm of the dead, Jesus ascends to heaven. And this moment of ascension, it's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's mentioned in uh, Paul's letters. <clears throat> it's mentioned in 1 Peter. It's mentioned in Revelation. Every Sunday when we profess the creed, the apostles or the Nicene Creed, we mention he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So it's part of our faith uh, biblically and in the creeds. What is the ascension? The ascension is this. It marks a decisive transition. <clears throat> it shows the period of Jesus' resurrected bodily appearance with his disciples has come to an end. And now he's returning to the Father, this transition moment, and we are going to celebrate next week the descent, the sending of the Spirit, Pentecost, where he sends his Spirit. His presence comes to be with all of us, not physically with Jesus of Nazareth, but through the Holy Spirit, he communicates his presence. So there's ascension marks this transition moment of Jesus's ministry. And we have a problem, of course, with the ascension because we don't know what to do with it. We understand, or we, we think we understand the cross, what that means. We get it a little bit. You know, sometimes we think we really know what the cross means, and then you start to think about it a little bit more, and you realize, I don't really know as much about the cross as I wish I did. But we think we know something about the cross, Jesus dying for us. We know something about the resurrection, that he is bodily resurrected. We know something about the, the Pentecost, the descent of the Spirit, but we've got this question, what, what about the ascension? I mean, is, the picture you get as you read Acts is that the last moment in Acts is the disciples looking up, and it's like Jesus' feet are just hanging around in the clouds. Like the last thing we see, and some angels are saying, he's going to come back the same way. You can imagine the disciples wondering, like, he's going to rock it back down? What is, like, what do you mean right now? You might have this sense of, like, did the disciples think that if you could just journey into outer space, you know, hang a left at Mars, and Jesus has risen all the way up to there, and he's just kind of hanging around somewhere high in the clouds. I love the way our bishop often says this. He says, the authors of Scripture, we have to understand, the authors of Scripture are at least as smart as you and me. They're at least as smart as us, and so they're trying to accurately represent reality as they understand it. So Jesus is not simply floating up, but where did he go? Where did Jesus go? This is something the ascension wants to answer. So where did Jesus go? Where did he ascend? To answer these questions and to really to better understand just the spirituality of ascension, we want to take a step back and start with two big biblical concepts of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, in the beginning of all creation, 
God makes the heavens and the earth. And when we think about the word heaven, you might think of heaven as just the place you go where you die. But primarily what the Bible means by heaven is the place where God's presence is fully manifest and where his will is fully obeyed. So heaven is the place where God is fully present, his will is fully obeyed. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We want your presence and we want your will to be obeyed down here just as it is in heaven. And so throughout the Bible, the biblical authors, they use heaven or they use the heavens predominantly to talk about a space, the space where God dwells. This is God's space, God's full presence here, and God's present everywhere, but there's a fullness to his presence here that we don't always experience on earth, his will fully obeyed, the space of heaven. And then they contrast that with the word land or earth to refer to this space, the space where we live here on earth, humanity's space. And what the Bible is most interested in is how these two spaces, the space of heaven and the space of earth, overlap. So you get things like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first thing you see is he puts man and woman as the image bearers of himself in the garden of Eden. And for a moment, early in creation story, we have heaven and earth totally overlapping. We have God's presence walking in the garden with his people. We have the people on earth Uh, living faithfully, communicating his presence. You see heaven and earth really brought together in this moment. One of the tragic effects of sin is not just that humans fall, but you see the separation of heaven and earth. No longer is there overlapping space between God and his creation. There's this separation. We have removed ourselves from his presence. And so you start to get glimpses throughout the Old Testament as you read of God rescuing, working to rescue and to bring these two spaces back together. So you'll see something like Jacob having a dream where he sees angels on a ladder ascending and descending and this interlocking space of heaven and earth. Or you'll see something like Moses suddenly standing on holy ground and heaven has like invaded down onto earth for just a moment. The spaces have just started to overlap for a second. Chiefly in the Old Testament, you start to see the temple. And the temple is the place where God's presence would dwell, where heaven and earth definitely came together. And you would go and you would offer sacrifices there, and you would be assured you have been pardoned, you've been forgiven by God. Heaven and earth overlapping at this place of the temple. As we move to the New Testament, we see something fantastic, which is God stepping down out of heaven space into earth space in the person of Jesus. Heaven suddenly invading, heaven colliding, heaven coming down into earth space to walk and move around. God assuming human flesh, taking up our humanity, and God now, the heaven space, walking along in the earth space. And then the story of Jesus, Jesus living a perfect life, manifesting his kingdom, bringing the healings, pointing people constantly to the kingdom of God, dying on the cross for our sins, resurrecting, and then what does he do? He ascends. God, who has come down into earth space, resumes back up into heaven space. We now have, sitting at the right hand of God, someone who is fully God and, like you, fully human. Someone who has walked through chronological time in earth space is living at the right hand of God in heaven space. And what all of Christianity is pointing to is the world is still broken, but there's now this overlapping space In the church, 
where we see the Spirit poured out. And we get these moments of nearness to God in his sacraments or in community with one another. But there's this overlap between the two now. And we're waiting for the day when our king will come back and heaven and earth will once again be completely overlapping, completely collide. When the, There's a new heavens and a new earth. Going to heaven doesn't mean floating off after death, but rather it means being in the full presence of God. Something that can even now begin to happen through his Holy Spirit. And so here's what I want to know. That's all, all of what I've just said for the past few minutes has been kind of preliminary to ask this question. How then do we live an authentic spirituality, like a living and alive spirituality in light of this ascension? Like in light of the fact that God has come down to earth, earth space, and has now Jesus, the God-man, has gone back into heaven space. How do we live like a spirituality that keeps us connected to God? Not just a dry, go-through-the-motion spirituality, but a spirituality that keeps us connected to God. I want to offer uh, just a few ways we might think about that in light of the ascension. And I'll put, them, I'll put a few slides up here to think about this. Real spirituality in the ascension. Um, there are more ways we could reflect on this, but as I was just thinking and praying over you, Christ Church, here in Austin, here in 2023, here are three ways I think that you might consider a, sp a living spirituality based on the ascension. Number one is a spirituality of allegiance. What I mean by that is when Jesus ascends, he becomes king over all things. He rightfully takes back the place that Adam and Eve had abdicated. He ascends back to this throne, uh, taking humanity back to their rightful position of ruling over earth. But this king rules not just over earth, but over all of heaven as well. So look at um, our scripture from the Psalms today, the Psalm that we prayed, Psalm 47. This is a, an ascension psalm. Uh, you can look at this in your scripture, Psalm 47, verse 7 and 8. And it says, this is applied to Jesus. God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with your skill. God reigns over the nations. God sits upon his holy throne. What Adam had lost in the garden and what the satanic and demonic kingdom has been falsely holding on to, Jesus reclaims. There's a book that came out a few years ago, and it's got one of those titles that you don't even have to read the book. Like it just it makes sense as soon as you hear the title. And the, the title of this book is Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And it's playing off the Reformation Salvation by Faith Alone. But it wants to say salvation by allegiance alone. And, and what it's trying to point out is that faith doesn't just mean having the right ideas about God. Like you can have all the right ideas um, and still not have an active and living faith, but faith is committing yourself to trust as highest king, King Jesus. Salvation by allegiance alone. So we might say a spirituality of allegiance isn't just a faith that has a set of ideas. It's pledging yourself, your total self, to the king. It's the highest pledge of allegiance. A spirituality of allegiance says you will face internal desires that take you away from God. You will face temptation from the rival demonic kingdom, yet your allegiance, your highest allegiance, is always to the ascended king. You know, in just a couple of months, we're going to be entering an election season in a politically charged time. I think that might be an understatement. It's tempting for Christians to become hyper-focused around national elections thinking in zero-sum terms, either all winning or all losing. 
But as Christians, we are not those who think that our public policies, no matter how good our public policies are, will actually solve the world. It's only when the ascended king returns, when heaven reinvades earth, will all the policies be overthrown, where, where everything will be made right again. So how do we live then? How does the spirituality engage the world? We live in a posture of engagement with the world, but not an ultimate hope in the world. And if you've ever tried to do that, let me just say that is a difficult tension to balance. A posture of engagement saying it matters that I engage in political sphere, public office, all, the, all these kinds. I engage the world, but also this is not my ultimate hope. My ultimate hope is always in the ascended Jesus, which is a difficult posture to take, but it can only come from a spirituality of allegiance. We subordinate our allegiance to political parties, our allegiance to country, are all under Christ, which doesn't mean political countries or love of country are wrong, but they must be properly placed, properly ordered under allegiance to the king. For real spirituality, you prioritize the king above all others, and when you find, if for any moment in any area of life, whatever it might be, that you aren't prioritizing King Jesus above others, if, the high, if your spirituality of allegiance is to him isn't the highest, you won't encounter his presence. Like, here's the real takeaway. If you want to encounter the living presence of God, and yet you aren't a, pledging allegiance to him as highest, you won't encounter his presence. You can't disobey the king and expect that he wants to meet with you on your terms, except through perhaps gentle correction to gently and lovingly pull you back to his kingdom. That's a spirituality of allegiance. The second spirituality we might call a spirituality of witness. Spirituality of witness. And Jesus tells his disciples, he says, remain in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. He says in a few days you are going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed in something. And the reason he says us, he makes this promise, I am going to be with you always. I will always be with you. We had this passage in Hebrews 4, lovely passage in Hebrews 4.14 that says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Spirituality of witness says that because Jesus has ascended, you are never alone from God, ever, ever. You're never alone from God, you who have placed your trust in God. You can think about the moments of your life where, think about this for a moment. Think about something you feel ashamed of in your life right now. You were never alone from God in that moment. Something you regret. He has never left you. He's never walked away from you. Promises to be with you. You who continue to pledge allegiance to repent and say, Jesus, I want more of you. Promises, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you, little sheep of mine. As a human, you will face immense challenges and obstacles in life. You will face grief. You will face losses. You will, over the course of your life, lose your sense of bodily senses, your sight, your hearing, perhaps memory. 
I often speak to people when I'm talking to people in deepest moments of grief, perhaps at funerals, people who are going deeply through depression, seasons of anxiety, mental challenges. I talk with families who are taking care of other family members in long-term care, and there's always this moment of wondering, like, does God care? Does he, does he give a, a rip about what I'm going through? Does he understand what I'm going through? And the spirituality of witness says he does. He has gone through it himself and promises to be with you in the middle of it. There's a, a promise from Isaiah that says, when you walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you, and I, the Lord, will walk with you. So the two promises he's offering are not just to get you safely to the other side, but as you feel at your lowest moment of life overwhelming you, God promises, I am there with you. This is a spirituality of withness, that he goes with you in every moment of every single day. And then lastly, I would say there's a spirituality for ordinary life. The ascension shows us where we're all headed. All of life is moving more deeply to this being bonded with Jesus. All of us are moving to where Jesus is, into the full presence of God. He's just gotten there first, and he's promised us, I'm going ahead of you so that I can prepare a way for you to come. We read out of Ephesians 1 today, and in Ephesians 1, there's a, a lot of language that Paul gives about the ascension. If you go a little bit further in Ephesians 2, there's that famous passage in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you've been saved, by faith, this is not from yourselves. Just before that moment, Paul speaks about the ascension again, and this is what he says. He says, because of God's great love for us, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. All right, that's like present tense, like, this has already happened. You've already been raised up somehow, seated with Jesus, in order that in the coming ages in the future, he will show us these incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, right now, you're already there, kind of mysteriously, spiritually, but one day you're going to see it fully. So everything you're going through right now, all of the daily choices that you're making are contributing to this one-day reality of you getting to stand in the presence of God. A spirituality for daily choices means that with such a clear future ahead of us, every single daily activity, washing the dishes, going on first dates, finishing your homework, making a pledge, stewarding your resources, has this sense nothing is overlooked, nothing is wasted, all of it God is using to one day bring me into his presence in the same way Jesus has been brought into his presence. One of my pastoral heroes is Kent Adams. Kent Adams uh, is a 17th century Scottish pastor. He's in the highlands of Scotland who went about life for 40 years uh, doing the work of just a, a common pastor of baptizing babies and marrying man and wife together, of burying families and being with those who are grieving. He lived in a, one of those highland-type Scotland areas where it's a small community. He knew everyone, and he got to watch people live their live lives out, the Millers and the, the Smiths and the, the men and the women raising families, the little kids all growing up, and faithfully did this for 40 years and, um, you know, and, then, and then died and passed away. But this was his legacy, just this kind of faithful, every-single-day life. He watched the farmers, watched the shepherds. If you were to Google Kent Adams, he didn't leave behind any writings. He didn't leave behind any journals. You won't find anything about him on Google. 
And the reason is because he's someone I've made up. Totally just made this guy up in my mind. And here's why I do this. He's a symbol for me of me. A forgotten pastor, lost in history, destined for glory. There are no obscure saints in the kingdom of God. Every single one of us named, known, being prepared for this eternal reality of face-to-face life with God. You might imagine the same thing of yourself. Think of how many people who have lived before you, who have faithfully day in and day out done the things that you do and loved God and now stand before him in, their, in, in God's presence. You might come up with a name yourself and say you'll never hear of this person or that person, but to me they matter because no one is overlooked in the kingdom of God. In the very end, this is where we're going, that everything we do every single day can be a gift offered to God, and God, I want to offer it to you, that you would one day make me like yourself. It's like the the end of the way C.S. Lewis preached that famous sermon, The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary mortals. You've never talked to an ordinary mortal. The people you speak to every day, the people that you play with, the people that you snub, the people that you criticize are not ordinary mortals. They're eternal beings on a pathway one day to such eternal glory that if you were to see them now, you might be tempted to worship them. They would become so beautiful, so arraigned with God's glory. Or else creatures that you would pray you would see only in a nightmare. Such a fiendish creature. You have never talked to a mere mortal. This is the spirituality of ordinary life. Every single day, the choices you are making are contributing to who God is calling you to become. And he wants you to stand. Jesus wants you to stand where he stands. He is reigning, ascended, the right hand of God. Ascension shows us where we are headed also, and the goal of our life is to align our lives now where we will one day be. This is a spirituality of ascension we can practice in daily living. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.